your go-to show for hidden history. It's Truth Jihad Radio on the web at truthjihad.com, where you can subscribe by way of the Substack button. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think the, the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome. This is the special live broadcast of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett bringing on great guests, telling us things that we rarely hear in the corporate-controlled mainstream. Tonight, we're going to cover a number of topics, um, the data manipulation around COVID with Ph.D. metallurgical engineer and formerly outspoken 9-11 truth guy. Now he, he kind of plays that down, <laughs> Joel Hirschhorn. And we'll talk with Rolf Lindgren uh, about the transformation of the Republican Party into a buzzing nest of conspiracy theorists. But now, first, in the first hour, we're going to revisit the USS Liberty issue with Ron Unz. Ron is probably the most accomplished figure in alternative journalism. Just read his American Pravda series to get the revisionist take, the solid, well-supported revisionist take on so many important historical and contemporary issues. And Unz.com, the Unz Review, is the go-to alternative media webzine, which is why I'm there. Ron just put out a new article on Liberty. It's American Pravda Remembering the Liberty. And as usual, I think he really nails it, uh, including uh, getting to towards the end of the article. People really need to read these articles all the way through. Uh, he gets into Peter Hunnam's Operation Cyanide, which is, I think, the most important book about this issue, which raises it to a whole different level from even what many liberty uh, activists know about or talk much about. So let's get into it. Hey, welcome, Ron. How are you? Hey, great to be here. Yeah, it's always good to have you back. Always good to see a new American Pravda piece. It's uh, incredible work you're doing. So this uh, the, the USS Liberty is a big issue among, well, what should we call ourselves, the uh, the anti-Zionists, the people who get called anti-Semites. A lot of people who have noticed that Israel is not America's friend and not a very nice country have been screaming about the liberty for quite a long time. Many of them, however, focus so much on Israel that they don't even want to hear that President Johnson may have been involved in this false flag conspiracy. It's a it's a thorny issue, and it hasn't made any inroads in the mainstream, even though it's perhaps the most heroic story in the history of American military engagement. So uh, maybe go ahead and start and just give us the background on where you came to this and, and how you wrote your piece. Sure. Well, I mean, the Liberty story, obviously, you know, it was the case of an Israeli military attack on an American intelligence ship, the Liberty, during the Six-Day War in 1967. And the facts about it are extremely straightforward, though the media ignored them for decades and tried to cover it up and everything like that. Uh, essentially, uh, a number of Israeli jet fighters strafed and bombed the Liberty. 
then three torpedo boats tried to sink it with torpedoes and also with the rocket fire. And at the end, a couple of large Israeli helicopters with commandos seemed about to board, uh, send their troops to board the Liberty and sink it finally that way, until word of the Liberty's attack got to other American forces and the whole operation was called off. All of that happened at the time, and uh, the, the loss of life really was very substantial. America lost over 200 dead and wounded in that attack. It was the worst naval attack against American forces since the Second World War. And the ship itself was virtually undefended. It had a few machine guns against jet fighters, torpedo boats, and, you know, major armed forces. So it really was really, it was a quite dramatic story. The whole thing, once word of the Liberty, of the attack of the Liberty got to the rest of our American Sixth Fleet, it was all hushed up and described as an accident. But there is overwhelming evidence that the attack was not accidental. And in fact, uh, the Liberty itself had been an NSA boat, in other words, uh, a spy boat sent to monitor the radio transmissions of the Middle Eastern countries taking place, uh, taking part in the Six-Day War, and, uh, you know, relay that information to the NSA headquarters and our decryption units. And uh, it turns out another NSA spy plane was overhead monitoring the transmissions of all the Israeli uh, jet fighters that were attacking the Liberty. And those transmissions show that they knew it was an American ship. The flag was very visible. Everything about it was straightforward in that they were ordered to attack and sink an American ship, machine gunning the lifeboats so that there would be no survivors. Now, as it was covered up by the American government, all of this information was suppressed at the time, both in the media and by the top ranks of the American government, so that most Americans never really heard of it at the time, except, you know, unfortunate accident. But as the years went by, more and more of this information came out, both through declassifications, Freedom of Information Act disclosures, and also the tremendous anger and bitterness of many top American military and governmental officials over the unwarranted massacre of really what would have been almost 400 American servicemen if the planet succeeded. So, I mean, all of this came out originally in a book by one of the surviving crewmen that was published in 1979. That was sort of the first break in the wall. And afterwards, more and more of the information came out. I probably first heard of it about 30 years ago in the early 1990s when some of the books on the NSA by James Bamford and other uh, material reached the mainstream media, though, you know, it really wasn't, it didn't receive a lot of attention or the attention that it should have at the time. So the bottom line is that there's virtually no doubt based on rock hard evidence that the liberty was delib the, the liberty was deliberately attacked by israeli land and uh, air and naval forces and was intended to be sunk with no survivors the one thing that has been very peculiar during all of these years has been trying to figure out the motive for the israeli attack in other words america was israel's most important ally at the time of the six day war and for them to for seemingly no reason attack and try to sink our most advanced intelligence ship with 
killing all the survivors to make sure that there was nobody to explain what happened. It just seems like a very strange story, and various explanations have come up over the years, speculations as to what caused it. For example, one idea, which Ennis mentioned in his original 1979 book, was that uh, the Liberty was, mon- uh, was f- the Israelis feared that the Liberty might be monitoring some of their internal transmissions and recording the fact that they were planning to invade Syria against American orders. Uh, in other words, what had happened is, according to most of the uh, evidence that later came out, America had given the green light for the Israeli attack on Egypt, but was unwilling to have uh, the Israeli forces attack Syria and seize the Golan Heights for fear that it might cause a major superpower confrontation with the Soviets. Uh, And so that was one of the possible explanations for the attack. Uh, Another possible explanation was it later came out that the Israelis were involved in massive war crimes in the Sinai Desert. They ended up uh, massacring probably up to about a thousand uh, Egyptian POWs and civilians in that area. It, It came out about 20 or 25 years later with Israeli military historians, eyewitness testimony, the mass graves were found. So for example, James Bamford in his book raised the possibility that they feared the the Liberty was monitoring and recording some of the war crimes they were committing at that point. And various other explanations came out. One aspect of the attack on the Liberty was that the planes, the Israeli planes that bombed and strafed the Liberty had no markings. In other words, they'd taken out, they'd covered up their, uh, you know, the Israeli flag or symbols of Israel so that uh, it, initially the Liberty crewmen had no idea who was attacking them. And so there was speculation that possibly Israel wanted to have Egypt blamed for the attack. And that way, America might retaliate against Egypt. That originally, that idea came out in the early 80s for the first time. And so various of these possibilities have been floating around for years. But the bottom line is that the nation of Israel, through its military, deliberately attacked and tried to sink with no survivors one of our intelligence ships, which would have cost nearly 400 American lives. And, you know, then basically the American government covered up at the time so that virtually no Americans afterwards ever really found out about what had happened. In fact, I would bet that as of today, probably not even one in a hundred Americans is aware that Israel deliberately attacked and tried to sink our ship and kill up to 400 American servicemen at the time. So anyway, that basically is the standard story of the Liberty which I'd been familiar with probably since the early 1990s. And, you know, a lot of other people have gradually become familiar with it if they read alternative media. And every now and then, bits and pieces break out into the mainstream media and then quickly disappear afterwards. And books have been written. It's been covered by leading scholars. So there's really, at that stage, not much really to be disputed about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's basically where I was as of probably a month and a half ago. Okay, and then uh, apparently you discovered Peter Hunnam's book, Operation Cyanide, which exactly. uh, is the most mind-blowing book on the whole subject, <laughs> as I discovered more than 10 years ago. Exactly. As I mentioned in my article, over the last two or three years, 
I've completely reassessed my views of many historical incidents that I thought I really understood very well. And, you know, sweeping issues having to do with the Second World War, the JFK assassination, the 9-11 attacks, but none of that really applied to the Liberty incident. In other words, I regard it as completely closed, straightforward, the only unknown being why the Israelis had attacked our ship and tried to sink it. And then uh, on the website we have, you know, a lot of um, uh, excitable commenters show up, and they have many times all sorts of theories which, you know, I usually don't really buy into or am skeptical of. And so I remember a few months ago, some of them started talking about the possibility that the Liberty was actually a false flag attack on American forces with the collusion of the top of the Johnson administration, in other words, with someone like Lyndon Johnson directly involved in orchestrating the attack, as a plot to lay the foundation for launching World War III. And, you know, at the time, a few commenters were saying things like that. That sounded utterly outlandish and ridiculous. And I, you know, once or twice in the past looked into a few of those things and been very unimpressed with the books or other material that I took a look at. So, you know, when a few people started making outlandish claims that you know, the liberty was the provocation for an intentional World War III by Lyndon Johnson, I really didn't pay much attention to it at all. But then what happened? I happened to be reading a, a book by uh, Michael Collins Piper, a very prominent um, uh, conspiracy researcher who I really had quite a lot of respect for. And he came out and just in a couple of sentences said he'd been very impressed by that particular book by Peter Hoonan and really thought its claims were astonishing but probably correct. And so that you know pushed me over to the point where I decided I would take a look at the Amazon webpage and order the book and see what you know it would say. And one thing that really struck me when I ended up getting the book, and you know I'd never heard of Peter Hoonan, I'd never heard of that book except in very offhanded sort of way, and the claims made about it seemed you know really almost ridiculous. But what ended up happening when I got it, I mean on the cover, there's a glowing endorsement of the text of the book by the editor of the BBC World Affairs Service. And I mean, that's a very strong mainstream claim to have that, you know, what you work, that the project in your book was, you know, highly regarded by the BBC. And then it turns out I found out that Peter Hoonan himself had spent 30 years in mainstream British journalism, including uh, really being head of the investigative journalist unit at the London Sunday Times, and had broken a number of major international stories. So he really seemed to have a much, much stronger and more prestigious and credible background than I realized. And the book itself came across as very solidly put together, and the claims it made are utterly astonishing. Now, you know, again, it's basically a question of whether you can believe the underlying material, believe the interviews, believe the other evidence. And there's no absolute proof of anything, but I really found at least a lot of it very persuasive. Here's sort of the opening item that Hunan puts in his introduction that immediately grabbed my attention. During the days of the Cold War, obviously in the 1960s, America had its strategic bomber force always on ready alert. In other words, you know, since we were never sure whether a nuclear war with the Soviets might suddenly break out. 
And it turns out, as Hunan was working on his book, he ended up getting contacted by a former pilot who'd been one of the uh, SAC bomber pilots at the time. And the man told him an interesting story that during the period in which he'd been uh, part of a SAC squadron based in Beale Air Force Base in California, during the 1960s, uh, when he was with the squadron, there were three times when suddenly the squadron was scrambled and everybody was ordered to go into their cockpits and simply await the command to unleash nuclear war against the Soviet Union. You know, not a not a um, practice run, not a test, but an actual live nuclear war scenario. Real Dr. So, Strange love stuff. Exactly, exactly. And those three times were the Kennedy assassination. When our spy ship, the Pueblo, was seized by the North Koreans. And the third time was uh, when the Liberty was attacked. And I mean, all of that makes perfect sense. In other words, with the Kennedy assassination, nobody really knew at first what was going on. Was this, you know, suddenly the Third World War breaking out? And, you know, with the other things, it makes perfect sense. But what's interesting is that the guy uh, in his written statement told Hunan exactly when he'd been scrambled into the cockpit and put on ultra-top-ready red alert. And it turns out when Hunan checked the time, the red alert for World War III occurred at least an hour or two before the Liberty was attacked. Now, that's a very, very strange item. In other words, you know, if those times were correct, if his memory was correct and everything like that, that means America, somebody very high up in the American government, knew what was about to happen before it happened. Now, that's not solid proof, but it, it's a very interesting, suspicious detail. And there are a lot of other details that Hunan brings out very early in his book. Uh, it turns out if you check the logbooks in the White House for Johnson at the time, they're you know, eventually declassified and released, you see that Johnson apparently was not notified by the, of the Liberty attack until hours after it had happened. Now, the standard procedure in the United States is that whenever an American ship is attacked anywhere in the world, the president has to be notified absolutely instantly for very good reasons. Whether he's asleep or awake, Johnson was awake, he was having breakfast, and according to the official log records, he was never notified at the time. Yet some of the things he ended up doing afterwards, for example, conferring with Secretary of Defense John, uh, Robert McNamara and you know other things like that, seemed to indicate that he had been notified. And, uh, and there are all these very strange discrepancies with regards to the timing of the notification. I mean, basically, there are Red, there were red alerts being sent in by the NSA, by the CIA, by all of our service organizations to the White House saying an American ship is under attack in the Mediterranean by unknown forces. And in fact, later that morning, in the Situation Room meeting with Johnson and Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, National Security Advisor, all those people, that was two or three hours later. And at that point, According to the memoirs of the individuals who participated in that meeting, nobody knew who'd attacked the ship yet. There was a lot of speculation that it was a Soviet attack against our intelligence vessel. Yet other evidence shows that the, it was known 
at least an hour or two before that that it was an Israeli attack, and the message was sent directly to the White House. So uh, there are all these very strange discrepancies that Hunan traced through with the records that are the sort of things that raise a lot of suspicions about foreknowledge, about what was going on, and things like that. Then, to my mind, I mean, the biggest smoking gun or, you know, the biggest amazing development that Hunan got, and he got it on the record. It turns out, you know, after the attack on the Liberty took place, since it was, since the attack originally was by unknown, unmarked uh, Israeli planes, obviously the people on the Liberty didn't know who was attacking them at first. And uh, they desperately got a message out to the Sixth Fleet saying that they were under attack by unknown enemy forces. It turns out, you know, what then happened is that there's a lot of evidence that the Sixth Fleet almost immediately dispatched a set of bombers to attack Egypt, to bomb Cairo in retaliation for the liberty. I mean, based on the timing. And uh, the proof that the bomber strike really did take place, I mean, there are a lot of eyewitnesses that Hunan interviewed at the time. They saw the planes go out. They talked with some of the crewmen. They said, oh, yes, those planes are out to strike Cairo in retaliation for the liberty. And, uh, I mean, in some cases, for example, they even uh, there was an interview with one of the uh, somebody who talked with one of the pilots afterwards saying, yes, he had been sent out to strike Cairo in retaliation for the liberty. And the most rock-solid piece of proof is that there was an American strike planned against Cairo, is that it turns out our acting ambassador, in the Cairo embassy, uh, was given suddenly a flash urgent notice telling him that American bombers were on the way to strike Cairo. It would mean war with Egypt. So he and the other uh, subordinates at the embassy immediately started destroying all their diplomatic documents because, you know, if we were going to be at war with Egypt, the embassy's documents have to be destroyed so that they wouldn't be seized by the Egyptians. And he ended up explaining that in an on-the-record interview with Hunan, a taped interview. So, I mean, we're talking about the acting ambassador in Cairo saying that he was given a flash message that we were about to attack Egypt in retaliation for the liberty. That then was later called off, and, you know, whatever, an hour or so later, 40 minutes later, uh, he was given another message saying the strike had been canceled. But there seems absolutely incontrovertible evidence that America was on the verge of attacking Egypt in retaliation for the liberty. Now, and, and it's actually read, even worse than that, that run. In oh, the, I, I, I'll get I'll get into okay, you okay. know a few <laughs> more things. But I mean, the whole thing about it is when you have an on-the-record interview, a taped interview with the American acting ambassador on that detail. You know, as I said, when I read that book, I mean, and by the way, he's apparently given similar statements in a later oral history. So. I mean, it's absolutely confirmed that we were on the verge of attacking Egypt in retaliation for the liberty. Under those circumstances, that sort of story completely alters our entire understanding of the Six-Day War and the Liberty Affair. And the book that presented that information was published in 2003, 18 years ago. It should have been on the front page of the New York Times. It should have been everywhere. And I've ne I've never heard too. of it. Sorry, that, that's what I always thought too. It's uh, exactly. kind of yeah. astonishing. 
and, yeah. and the fact that it was never covered everywhere. Not only that, even with the alternative media, I've read you know, over the years quite a number of articles and books on the Liberty Incident, various aspects of the Liberty Incident, all sorts of details of the Liberty Incident, focusing again on the overwhelming proof that the Israeli attack was deliberate. None of them mentioned Peter Hoonan's amazing findings. In yeah, fact, I, I, I think from interviewing people, uh, when I talk to people about the Liberty Incident, uh, many of them are reluctant to go there. And I think part of it is that they are so attached to um, their animosity to Israel, which I share, that they don't want to kind of dilute this, the narrative by blaming it on Johnson. That that's perfectly possible, and you know, again, there are lots of different. Just to give you another example, I was looking at the uh, after you know I read the book and was just shocked by it. I, I, what I should say is, after reading that book, I, I'd never thought of writing an article on the Liberty because I said uh, to myself, well, "What else new is there to say?" But after reading, you know, discovering the Hunan hypothesis, I ended up going back and rereading all the books I'd read on the Liberty and a few more besides, so that you know I'd have all the material there and I could write a you know detailed article about it, which I've now gone ahead and done. But I mean the Hunan hypothesis completely shifts the entire understanding because again the evidence seems very strong and there's a great deal more than what I've given so far. But the evidence seems very strong that Lyndon Johnson was an active collaborator in the attack on the Liberty and perhaps even the main figure who orchestrated. And the reason isn't that difficult to understand and Hunan makes it fairly straightforward. In 1967, Lyndon Johnson was in a desperate political situation because the Vietnam War was going very badly. He was unpopular. There was no hope of victory in Vietnam. He lost a lot of his strongest supporters. And it really looked like he'd have a very, very difficult time getting reelected in 1968. And in fact, what ended up happening was he didn't even bother running because it was so hopeless. But in 1967, the idea is, he thought maybe if he rolled the dice in the Middle East and won a sweeping victory there against the vile Egyptians who'd attacked America in an unprovoked way, that might suddenly reverse his political situation. Because the same uh, in 1967, Johnson had originally been very strongly supported by uh, you know, the organized, uh, very influential Jewish groups in the United States, the Jewish media, Jewish donors, Jewish activists. But they'd become very opposed to the Vietnam War, so they were among his leading opponents. However, they were also very strongly pro-Israel in many cases. So if he were able to manipulate things so that America could enter the war on behalf of Israel and attack and destroy the Egyptian you know, the remaining Egyptian forces, that might bring those Jewish groups back to his side and would give him a good chance of getting reelected. And some of the evidence is really quite remarkable. For example, in 19, I guess it was 1964, when, when was the Tonkin Gulf in 65, maybe? Uh, oh, uh, no, 64. 64. Yeah. It was 64. You know, uh, the whole Tonkin Gulf incident was a case of apparent, of essentially a fabricated attack on American destroyers in the Gulf of Tonkin, allegedly by Vietnamese torpedo boats, though most historians admit it never really happened, and it was just concocted. Johnson was able to use that fabricated attack to get a, the Tonkin Gulf resolution 
passed through Congress almost unanimously. I think a couple of senators opposed it. Otherwise, there wasn't a single opponent in all of Congress. And that authorized him to use military force to retaliate and protect American forces in Vietnam. And that was the legal fig leaf that led to the entire Vietnam War. It also probably helped Johnson win a landslide re-election victory in 1964 against Barry Goldwater because it galvanized support and made him look strong, like you know, a pro-military leader and you know, cut a lot of Goldwater's base out of him. So it worked very well in 1964. The point Hunan makes is that Johnson might have thought, well, you know, I think maybe I need another Tonkin Gulf. Uh, incident, but this time in the Middle East to get reelected in 1968. And the amazing thing is the memoirs of a top Israeli diplomat in the United States show that a couple of days before the Six-Day War, he met with Johnson, and Johnson specifically told him how tremendously important it would be for Johnson to be able to get a, Tonkin, a new type of Tonkin Gulf resolution but with regard to the Middle East, so that he could, you know, in a sense, help Israel. And a few days later, suddenly the liberty was attacked. So, you know, the overall evidence of Johnson's foreknowledge and a lot of other things, that uh, just uh, one other detail I should have mentioned, uh, I probably should have mentioned it long before, is that when the original when the liberty was attacked by the israeli planes the first thing they did was to knock out all the transmitters on the liberty all the antenna so that they couldn't get a help message out there but the crewmen despite being under heavy fire were able to scramble and jury rig one antenna to get their sos message out to the sixth fleet and desperately request help because i mean they were essentially unarmed while the sixth fleet had enormous military forces once that message got out there, the uh, carrier admirals on the Sixth Fleet immediately dispatched two waves of fighters to rescue the Liberty and drive off the attackers or destroy the attackers. And both waves of fighters were immediately recalled by order of Rob Robert McNamara against the tremendous protest of our military officers. Because, I mean, they were saying, you know, our, our own forces, our ship is under attack. Why can't we rescue it? And McNamara specifically said it was under Johnson's order that the attack be called off and uh, so that not to embarrass an ally. And at that time, nobody really knew that the Israelis were the attackers, except apparently Lyndon Johnson, which again tends to increase the sense of extreme suspicion that he was directly involved in orchestrating the attack. So the scenario that you know, Hunan presents in his book, which seems to me really very plausible, or certainly plausible enough that the media and a hundred investigative journalists should have spent the last 18 years winnowing, re-interviewing people, getting every detail of it, was that Lyndon Johnson decided to orchestrate his own Gulf of Tonkin-type incident in the Middle East, have the Israelis secretly sink one of our boats, have them uh, claim that it was probably the Egyptians that did it, and as a consequence, have the Americans retaliate with a massive military strike against Egypt so as to strengthen his po domestic political position in the United States by getting all the Jewish groups that were anti-Vietnam War but very pro-Israel back into his camp for the 1968 election. And 
he makes a very strong case. And the fact that this was never discussed almost anywhere in the mainstream or the alternative media for 18 years is really just remarkable. It's like peeling layers of an onion. And, you know, as you get deeper and deeper, the more shocking things you discover. I'll just give an example. I ended up doing a Google search on the U.S. Liberty website, just checking for the name Hunan. It appears nowhere on that website. Allison Weir has a very long and detailed section on her website on the U.S. Liberty incident. I mean, lots of very useful documentation, which I ended up going through and reading for this uh, particular project. The name Hunan never appears there either. The other books I've read, including quite comprehensive ones, they never mentioned him or his theory. You know, probably because it might be considered so shocking and so dramatic that they were scared to get near it. And I haven't even covered now the most dramatic detail, which you'd, um, you know, mentioned a moment ago, but uh, which I wanted to sort of cover in due course. Now, you know, what I'm going to say now, there's no solid evidence for it. It's more in the category of hearsay, circumstantial evidence, but there's an awful lot of it. Hunan in his book gathers together quite a lot of evidence that the attack America had planned against Egypt and against Cairo in retaliation for the sinking of liberty, the planes that were sent to bomb Cairo were armed with nuclear warheads, which, I mean, at first, when I heard something like that, I thought we're past the realm of crack pottery. I mean, the notion of the U.S. launching a nuclear attack against Egypt as part of the strategy just seemed beyond belief. And again, I'm not saying I necessarily accept it, and Hunan doesn't you know, argue that's firmly established, but he lists about seven or eight personal individuals at the time who say that they saw the bombers go out, they saw the nuclear warheads probably being loaded onto the bombers. In one case, a pilot said he was carrying nuclear warheads for a strike against Cairo. A couple of journalists at the time reported, because uh, the, one of the main carriers, the carrier that actually launched the uh, planes with allegedly the nuclear warheads activated, was hosting 28 British and American journalists at the time. And so a number of them later said that you know they saw the planes go out. They heard from everybody else on the carrier there was a nuclear strike, a nuclear strike against Cairo. And when you're talking about six or seven or eight people who were actually there at the time, seemingly credible people, in some cases they later went on camera, saying that it had been a planned nuclear strike against Cairo, you can't simply dismiss all that evidence because it's too outlandish. Now, one important thing to keep in mind is it isn't at all clear whether the nuclear strike was anything like a strategic nuclear strike at the heart of Cairo. Hunan himself points out that the Soviet, uh, there were a number of Soviet strategic bombers in a West Cairo airfield far away from the center of the city, and perhaps they were the target of the American strike. So, you know, it's not like that America would have killed 50,000 or 100,000 Egyptians in the attack. It might have been, you know, much, much fewer losses. But the idea, supposedly, would have been that a nuclear strike in retaliation for the sinking of the Liberty and the killing of 300, Ameri of 300 American servicemen would show America totally dominated the Middle East and would have intimidated the Soviets 
by you know the strength of that action and by arguing that it was provoked by the unwarranted killing of 300 american servicemen that would have been designed to in effect justify a nuclear strike in the way that you know a much smaller action probably wouldn't have for example in the case of the tonkin gulf resolution in vietnam it never happened. There was no attack. No single American was injured because the attack never took place. But as a result, we bombed North Vietnam and started the Vietnam War. So when you... And of course, amazing... we killed millions in response oh, to... Oh, exactly. Uh, eventually, well. exactly. Mill- millions. And so, you know, the fact that, for example, we bombed North Vietnam and, you know, presumably killed just in that immediate action hundreds or, you know, large numbers of Vietnamese and destroyed their port facilities in retaliation for an attack that had never happened. Imagine how America could justify retaliation for the loss of 300 American lives in an unprovoked attack almost along the lines of Pearl Harbor. So that that basically is the argument involved there. You know, the nuclear issue is so astonishing that a number of other people that I've you know read the article are still very skeptical. Then I should say that you know when I first read the Hunan book, I raised the issue with a number of people I know who have been following conspiratorial issues in the 1960s very carefully, who in some cases even had published a number of articles on the liberty issue, had followed it in tremendous detail, and they'd never heard of Hunan or his book, which really is quite remarkable. So, you know, it shows that sometimes blacklisting in the alternative media is almost as extreme as blacklisting in the mainstream media. And um, that's basically, you know, I've obviously monopolized the conversation, but I thought I'd, you know, just sort of follow along and explain some of the stuff. So, I mean, the whole thing about it is we're talking about something that theoretically could have come awfully close to starting World War III. And that's exactly the whole idea is that if America, whether it was a conventional strike against Cairo or a nuclear strike against Cairo, in any event, we were going to be launching a major strike, America, against a top Soviet ally in the Middle East. And that obviously was the reason that our strategic nuclear bomber force was put on absolute war alert an hour or two before the incident took place, because there was always a chance the result would be war with the Soviets. And in fact, there's a lot of speculate, complex speculation as to whether there were contingency plans for the attack then, including an attack on the Soviet uh, fleet that had entered the Mediterranean from the Baltic uh, shortly before. And in a sense, are taking very strong action to reassert our absolute authority over the Middle East. And I mean, a lot of that is very speculative. But the key thing is Lyndon Johnson was in a desperate political situation. And World leaders many times, when they're in a desperate political situation, are willing to roll the dice on very taking very dangerous steps for their country in hopes of winning uh, re-election as a war president, as you know we know from a number of other cases. So anyway, that's basically the you know sort of summary outline of the thing. And I sorry for not letting you get too many. Well, that, that's a, it's a great outline, Ron. It's it's worth uh, <laughs> shutting up and letting you explain it. I, I, beautifully said. And um, I, I wonder though if the people in the liberty awareness community who are either unfamiliar with Hunan or are 
maybe for whatever reason they're reluctant to to follow his logic and accept his conclusions uh, i i agree with you that it's crazy because his book is so good and so convincing however they may have a point in arguing that it's not really necessarily just a matter of johnson and his political prospects i think if we contextualize this historically we notice that there are two very powerful forces sort of behind Johnson that might have supported something like this. And uh, one of them, of course, is the uh, the Israeli uh, lobby, the, well, the hardliners, the most hardline strategists around Israel, and, and they're the ones in control. The Ben-Gurions, who, uh, as Lauren Guyanot has argued persuasively, were a major force behind the assassination of John F. Kennedy, which was designed to put Johnson in office precisely so that he could oversee the Israeli war for the Lebensraum that they felt they needed. So that's one aspect is the Israeli uh, strategists would have been planning something along these lines for quite a long time. And then, and they're the ones who put Johnson in office to get it done. And then secondly, within the hardline element of the U S military and, uh, and the uh, think tankers and so on, we have learned uh, that there was another horrific near brush with World War III only a few years before the Liberty incident. And that, of course, was the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was actually much worse than we thought. It turns out that every single one of JFK's advisors was essentially urging him to attack Cuba in such a way as we now know would have brought uh, Cubans firing nuclear missiles <laughs> into into the southern states. And uh, World War Three would almost certainly have resulted. And indeed, there was a submarine incident that very nearly touched off World War Three at that time. Sure, exactly. Right. So, so those hardliners. Uh, were they wanted World War III. In fact, they set up the, the whole Cuban Missile Crisis thing in order to get World War III because they felt that they, they just discovered, as Daniel Ellsberg has written, that the Russians had a whole bunch of empty missile silos. They didn't have the strategic force that they pretended to. And so, but they were starting to fill those empty missile silos with actual missiles. So the American side said, we have to fight this war now before they start, before they actually build up a missile force. And we'll, you know, as Dr. Strangelove said, only lose maybe 10 or 20 million people tops, but they'll be completely gone. We will win. And of course, JFK said, these people are insane. Get out of my face and look what happened to him. So, so I think there were these powerful forces behind Johnson, namely uh, the Israelis and the hardliners in our military who very likely would have countenanced uh, the sort of plot that sounds so outlandish and insane, but hey, these people are outlandish and insane. Sure. I mean, there are certainly elements of those groups that were probably involved. As far as I can tell, based on the evidence that Hunan and uh, some other authors had put together, it looks like these the top levels of the Israeli government were not involved in the liberty attack. In other words, it at least there's a CIA report indicating that Moshe Dayan, who was the defense minister, in effect had seized effective control of the Israeli government at that point. And it gave unilateral orders for the invasion of Syria a day later and that type of thing, and allegedly was the person who ordered the attack on the liberty. So in effect, the prime minister of Israel had been shoved aside by Dayan and possibly a few other people around him who were orchestrating the Six-Day War and you know, poss quite possibly collaborating with Johnson through back channels on that. The interesting thing is with regard to the American military, as far as I can tell based on the evidence, the, the top ranks of the American military seem to have nothing to do with the Liberty attack. Uh, to give you an example, 
the chief of naval operations was outraged over the claims that the attack on the liberty had been accidental by Israel. And he fought it very hard and really, I mean, just he was very, very unhappy with that report. And Johnson fired him a few weeks later and replaced him by somebody else. And in fact, the individual then who replaced him, uh, Thomas Moore, later became chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff a few years later and became one of the strongest advocates of the Liberty Group and tried to supported them for the next 20 or 30 years, you know, saying how outrageous it was that Israel still was refusing to admit that the attack was deliberate. And we're talking about the guy who was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff during part of that period. So as far as I can tell, there doesn't seem to be much top-level Pentagon coordination on the attack on the liberty. It could be that some of those individuals were not reluctant to have a nuclear war, World War III with the Soviets, but there doesn't seem to be much evidence that they were involved in the false flag attack on the liberty. It could be that they were, you know, it could be certain elements in the military war. And it's clear, for example, that the uh, commander of the Sixth Fleet and our, and uh, actually John McCain Jr., the father of the late senator, who was head of our entire uh, military forces in that region of the world, ended up being heavily involved in the cover-up of the Liberty attack. The claim that it was an accidental attack on Israel, once word did get out to our forces about the fact that the Liberty was under attack. So uh, essentially what happened, I think, was that the original plot had been that the liberty would mysteriously disappear, would be sunk at sea. We would then blame the Egyptians and attack the Egyptians in retaliation for the liberty attack. And the only reason that didn't occur is that the liberty crewmen were able to rig a single antenna to get their SOS message out to our fleet so that the fleet then dispatched uh, planes to rescue the liberty, even though they were later recalled. And then once uh, also the NSA signal intercepts proved that the Israelis were the attackers, once that got into the hands of enough higher ranking military officers at the Pentagon or the CIA or the NSA or some people in the White House, it suddenly became impossible to blame the attack on the Egyptians. So at that point, it simply became a cover-up operation. And as you can imagine, both those elements of the Israeli government and Johnson, apparently, who were involved in the plot, both had very strong mutual reasons for keeping it covered up. Because, you know, if it came out that Johnson had deliberately orchestrated the attack on his own, on our own naval vessel, I mean, that would be the closest, most obvious example of treason that you can imagine. And Johnson that would have been a George, George H.W. Bush, a chase us down the street and lynch us moment. Yeah, exactly. And the Johnson wasn't particularly popular anyway at that point. And I mean, that, I mean, you know, it, it's the sort of thing that never had previously happened in American history. And Johnson, I think, would have had very, very serious problems, you know, in his future. And at the same point, if it were proven that the Israelis had deliberately attacked our vessel and tried to kill 300 servicemen, the American retaliation might have been enormous. In fact, in one of the books I was reading, uh, the NSA spy plane that was Un, uh, that unbeknownst to the Israelis was overhead monitoring all the communications and immediately translating the Hebrew into English and beaming it out. That's where the transcripts came, proving that the Israelis deliberately attacked a ship that they knew to be American. 
And those transcripts then were actually sent out to offices of the, to tel, on teletype machines in a number of intelligence offices all around the world, and they were received, and everybody saw what was going on. In fact, it might have even been deliberate to sort of circumvent any cover-up, any attempted cover-up on the top ranks of the American offices. And in one of the offices, I can't remember which one, I think somewhere in the Far East, once the intelligence officers there saw coming through in the teletype, the fact that the Israeli military had deliberately attacked and tried to sink an American vessel and killed so many American servicemen. Apparently, the, uh, you know, the intelligence officers were betting over which Israeli city the next day would cease to exist in retaliation. So obviously, a deliberate Israeli attack on American forces in that way would have been very, very, very dangerous for Israel. And that's actually probably the strongest reason a case can be made that the U.S. government probably was involved, because it would have been such an extraordinarily risky step for the Israelis to take if it weren't part of a plot with top American forces. Uh, there's actually one other point I should make. It, it turns out a CIA uh, intelligence report came out the day before saying that the Israelis planned to attack the Liberty. And it was sent to CIA headquarters immediately, you know, our military found out about it. So orders were immediately sent from the Pentagon and the NSA that the Liberty should hightail it out from where it was and put a uh, hundred mile and uh, re-anchor itself a hundred miles away from the coast so it would be safe. A whole series of message, messages were allegedly sent out to the Liberty ordering the Liberty to leave that area and move a safe distance away from shore. None of those messages were ever received. And that's actually one of the puzzles that a lot of later analysts had focused on. I mean, it, it's very, very strange. When top priority messages were repeatedly sent to the Liberty, ordering the Liberty to move to a safe distance, and the Liberty never received any of those messages, it tends to be more plausible if there were a top-level American plot to keep the liberty in that location so it would be attacked and sunk by Israeli forces. So, I mean, overall, even though there's not rock-solid proof, it does seem absolutely clear that America was on the verge of attacking Cairo in retaliation for the attack on the liberty. And it seems, given the fact that the attack on Cairo came so soon after the liberty was first hit, it's difficult to believe that would have taken place if it hadn't been prearranged, which again means that the top, certain top levels of the American government were perfectly knowledgeable of what, what was about to happen and were planning it as part of a broader operation. So, uh, I mean, there are a lot of other elements in the book that really are quite remarkable. But, I mean, overall, it's absolutely certain that America planned to attack Cairo in retaliation for the attack on the Liberty. It seems very likely that Johnson was involved in a plot with elements of the Israeli government to stage a false flag attack on the Liberty so that America could enter the war on behalf of Israel and, uh, you know, thereby help get Johnson reelected. And there seems an awful lot of personal testimony, seemingly credible personal testimony, that the retaliatory attack against at least some part of Cairo was going to be nuclear. And nuclear weapons were going to be used for the first time since the Second World War with Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So overall, it's an amazing book that came out 18 years ago 
and received virtually no attention. Well, one thing I should say for those it's, it's got a third bit of attention here on Truth She Had Radio. I, I bring it up oh, in interviews and, and see what happens. Exactly. And the other thing I should say is uh, I only discovered after writing the article that last year an organization uh, called True News, which is sort of a, a right wing anti Zionist. Uh, a media organization ended up producing a five-hour documentary called Sacrificing Liberty that can easily be rented on uh, the screen or you can buy the DVDs. I ended up watching the whole thing a few days ago. It's really an outstanding presentation of the whole thing. I mean, it really covers all the details, including in the last of, of the uh, hour-long episodes, a lot of the material I'm discussing regarding the attack on Egypt and uh, the evidence that it might have been nuclear. It has on-screen interviews with a lot of the surviving Liberty crewmen. It really is a very good job. It came out last year, and I hadn't even been aware of it. The other thing people should be aware of is that uh, Hunan's book was actually done in collaboration with the BBC as part of the background for a BBC documentary. That, is it, is uh, the best key conspiracy book the BBC ever did? Yeah, exactly. And uh, the BBC documentary, it's an hour-long documentary that came out at the same time, I think, in 2003 or 2004. It's actually available on YouTube, so anybody can just watch it. And it covers a lot of this material, though it carefully excluded any of the claims of Johnson's involvement, because that obviously was a little bit too hot to handle. Right. So this is an amazing story. Uh, These heroic crewmen on the Liberty under horrific attack uh, getting shot down, 34 dead, what, 170 or something wounded, and they managed to get off that message and not only save their ship and most of their lives, but also perhaps even save the world from nuclear destruction. This sounds like Hollywood has to do something with this, but uh, I don't think they will very soon because look who okay. controls Hollywood, look who controls our media. Exactly. I mean, this is the most amazing story I mean, one of the most amazing stories I've ever come across. And it was so close because, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, just to give an example, uh, the Liberty uh, was a vessel. Yes, sir, we only have a minute left, Ron. Okay. I mean, the fact that it didn't sink is really almost a miracle. In other words, during the Second World War, every ship of the Liberty's type that was hit by a single torpedo went straight to the bottom. Five torpedoes were fired at the Liberty, four of them missed, one of them hit. It's amazing that the ship survived, and because it survived, who knows whether much of the world didn't also survive as part of the consequence. Indeed, you you could claim that just like uh, Fidel Castro is surviving however many hundred CIA assassination attempts, uh, you know, Fidel should have accepted the the reality of God. And maybe uh, maybe the liberty survival is is that kind of divine miracle as well. Um, It's certainly highly improbable. And the whole story is so improbable and extraordinary. And I'm really glad that you discovered it and wrote it up because, as usual, you did a fantastic job. Uh, so thank you so much, Ron Unz. I appreciate your great work uh, with the American Pravda series. This is a, a worthy uh, episode in that uh, magisterial series of revisionist works. So what can I say? Keep up the great work and God bless. Hey, thanks a lot. Okay, thanks, Ron. That's uh, Ron Unz. I'm Kevin Barrett at Truth Jihad Radio. The website is truthjihad.com. And we will be back in the second hour with... Well, first we have Rolf Lindgren. He's a Republican Party activist who's been educating his fellow Republican Party members and activists at a series of very well-attended meetups nearby where I live. That is in Dane County, Wisconsin. And he has been educating them about things like the USS Liberty, as well as 9-11, 
New World Order related topics. Uh, he's been giving away copies of Robert Stinnett's book, Day of Deceit. And it looks like the Republicans are now the pro-conspiracy theory party. Those are the same Wisconsin Republicans who chased me out of the University of Wisconsin in 2006 for talking the wrong way about 9-11. So that's Rolf in the first half hour of the second hour of the show. And then on comes Joel Hirshhorn to talk about COVID data manipulation. So stick around for that. 